In our previous verse and chapter, we were at 2 Timothy. We ended at 2.15, but I'd like to go back a little bit. In our previous lesson, the last verse, we see that only skilled and mature Christians can do and understand sound teaching and can proclaim it and interpret it properly. Beginners don't know that. People coming to the Lord, many people send them out as if they're ministers of gospel. People can get saved without knowing the full ramifications. They understand they're a sinner, they accept Jesus and turn to him. But they don't understand many times the words redemption, sanctification, adoption, regeneration. They have to go back and figure these things out, and then it makes sense to them what they got. So it's like getting a new house that someone gives you, and you go check it all out. All you know is you got a new house. But then you find out all these rooms and things that are very pleasant that make it a house. Okay, so people who proclaim the gospel and who give witness should be sound, mature Christians. Novices and babes have no business ministering publicly. They don't understand, and often they misinterpret and twist scripture with good intentions, but it's still not spiritual. So no matter what they do, God will overlook motive and intents of honest people. But there is no spiritual thing with it. He cannot honor a false doctrine or misunderstood scripture. So well-meaningness doesn't mean anything in evaluating spiritual things. Paul said it's either gold, silver, and precious stones. That means it's done with the Lord's help and the Spirit working with us, or it's wood, hay, and stubble, it means it's good intentions of beginner Christians or Christians that don't know sound doctrine or teaching. And so what they do, they mean well, but it has no spiritual value. So therefore, they're not judged. Their works don't count. They get no reward for them. But they themselves still stand with the Lord because they live a holy life and they're trying to grow and obey the Lord. So he evaluates these things. But still, if you're not mature Christian, you have no business ministry, you should labor in the word and grow in the word and learn God's principles and be discipled properly. If you can't get no one else to do it, you have to spend more time in the word and prayer and the Holy Spirit will give people understanding. He gifts certain people, makes it easier for us. We have certain ministries, and they can relate to us things that take us a longer time to grasp or to understand. Okay, So no one is without excuse. The Lord said, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. He said, if you diligently seek him, he said, you will find him. He'll reward that. In Deuteronomy, he said, those that seek the Lord God, they shall find him if they seek him with all their heart and soul. So God is not interested in frivolous people and quickie thing. I've had people tell me when I used to counsel years ago, well, I've got about five minutes. I said, well, I don't have that time for you. I don't answer them. 
I said, to give the person a sound gospel that doesn't know it, it might take a couple of hours to explain things to them. In the early, Paul preached for hours and explained things and told them to continue in what he gave them and remind them of these things. There are no quick fixes. There are no seven scriptures that get you saved. These are all shortcuts that are not of the Lord and not sound doctrine. But these people think if it can get you to say this little prayer, then you're a Christian. Well, you do not find that in Christian. That's just the beginning. You just enter the race, and you're just grafted into the vine. But if you don't continue with the Lord, the branch is ultimately cut off. Even the soils that the Lord talked about, each soil represented a man's soul and heart was a little different. But the seed of God, the word of God is the same. And some, when they got the seed, they didn't pay much serious attention to it. And so it says the birds came and ate it up lest they understand. See, they they weren't serious about it. They were sort of like people, well, if God wants me to know that, he'll tell me. But if you understand scripture, God doesn't respond to people like that. Uh They have a lot of faults and sins that need to be dealt with before he's going to communicate with them in various degrees. So God is not begging and pleading uh, like some big Santa Claus on the center. You'll not find that in scripture. It says his wrath, his anger and indignation is continually on the wicked person. But on the other hand, he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. That love is not an emotional feeling. It's goodwill, good intentions, that the wicked person will turn to him and become a part of his family. That's the love. It's the goodwill. But the same people, Jesus said, and if they don't believe on him, which means to obey too, he said, the wrath of God remains on them. What is the wrath of God? The scripture tells us God hates sin, and if the sinner gets bad enough, he despises their soul. Psalm says God despises the soul of the wicked person, and he frowns on certain people that have been given more opportunity, and his wrath and judgment can be greater on these people. So he's not changed. He says he's angry with the sinner all day long. People think that because Jesus came, all of a sudden the Old Testament God went on vacation. He's one and same Jehovah God. So there are certain conditions that he loves and has goodwill, but he doesn't alter his holiness or his justice. He gives them time and space, and he's not quick in dealing with the wicked. And we'll see that also. So people have misunderstandings because false teachers and ministers have made them feel good in their selfish living and in their sins, and they just think, well, God's grace will cover it all, and God loves me unconditionally, so he'll find a way. But he will not if you do not work with him and yield to him. These things will not happen, okay? So we see that a person is not mature and not sound in the Lord. Now, to be mature in the Lord is not intellectually alone. We'll see that many intellectually people that go to seminary, they're brilliant, they got scholars, they cannot properly understand or interpret scripture. God keeps wisdom from the wicked, 
Yeah. We'll see that he does that. He hasn't changed. Okay. There's certain consequences of resisting. And as Paul himself said, look at your Christian calling. There are not many wise and noble and brilliant. He didn't say there weren't any. He said there are not many. Because those kind of people have to humble their pride and give up more of the world to serve the Lord. And they don't want to do that. The rich young ruler lived a good moral life, but he couldn't let go of his money. And that was the thing the Lord wanted. He said, go sell it all and follow me. He couldn't do it, okay? So if you're not in the God's word and you're not becoming a mature Christian, you have no business expounding on scripture or interpreting it because you'll do verses out of context, as most false teachers do. Verses are magnified or under-magnified, they'll take a scripture and place it above others when the scripture does not put it in that category. They'll make a major out of a certain scripture, and then another one that needs to be made, they overlook it. They don't want to talk about it. Uh So taking verses out of context and expounding on them is not sound interpretation. And all of God's word is in harmony. So you can't get one scripture and then find another one to counter it. They have to fit somewhere, even those under the old, they fit in their proper place when a person has spiritual understanding. The way of the righteous, the scripture says, is made plain because their heart's right. And God can reveal things through the spirit more and given their understanding. But if the heart's not right, God is not interested in giving them spiritual things. Uh-huh. It says the wicked shall never understand. Don't matter how brilliant they are, they won't have that spiritual thing because God blocks it. So intellectual knowledge alone will not save anyone or keep anyone. Okay? So people need to remember that. So scripture that is not handled properly is twisted. It is tortured. It is stretched. It means someone adds to it the meaning or subtracts from the meaning. That's heresy and false teaching. And many people do that. Many of our basic false doctrines in most of the professing Christianity are scriptures and verses taken out of context, and they try to make that a doctrine but they don't read the few verses before and after they explain these things. They just pick and choose what they like. That does not work. That is not rightly handling the word of God. And as Peter said about Paul, he says, he's our beloved brother, Paul. He wrote in wisdom and his epistles. And he said, and many of them are hard to understand, which the untaught and false teachers, he implies by the word, They twist to their own damnation. So people distort scripture and make the truth a lie to make it acceptable, or they water it down. Instead of the word of God being a sword, it's often made a spoon. They want to make it real nice for people when the intent of the sword is to cut and convict and disturb the conscience. They don't do that to the practicing, professing Christian who is in sin. Uh-huh. 
Oh, God loves us. Or God knows we're human. See, they they go too far, but they don't put the whole word of God. Oh, God knows those things, but he'll judge it and he'll destroy those who go back into the world. They'll be twice dead and plucked up by the roots. See, people don't only hear about that. They just like to pick and choose what's pleasant to them. So babes and novices must be taught and not given authority, not be given places of leadership because they haven't understood much about what pride does and how evil is very deceptive. They haven't got that discernment yet. So you put a novice in a place of authority, he gets all puffed up. He thinks he's more important than he is. And then he comes under condemnation of sin, and God has to deal with it. Uh-huh. But the people that put him in that position are the ones that are going to be more responsible to the Lord for doing that. Okay, false teachers deceived by pride and greed, and the demons inspired them, so they cannot speak properly for God. These people that trust them and the ones that are expounded on these doctrines, they torture, and that's what the word twist means and mishandle, to their own destruction. See, they interpret the scripture and condone sin and minimize it, minimize it with people as if uh, God's not going to look at it because I'm under grace uh, that don't matter. See, we have these doctrines that confirm people in their sin, and no matter how they live, well, God loves me anyway, and he'll make a way. They're liars. The shepherds are liars, and they misinterpret it. The word of God doesn't say that anywhere, okay? But the people as a whole, and especially in the time we live in, it said they will heap to themselves teachers with itching ears. It means They want teachers to listen and tell them what they want the teachers to tell them. And the teachers, the false teachers and false Christian ministers and stuff, they want to give the people something to make them feel good because they'll make more money and they'll become more popular. So they're listening. What do the people want? And God don't care what the people want. He wants them to give them the truth. Uh But many people, they want to serve the Lord and think they're okay and they don't want nobody reproving them or correcting them. They just want to live their life. And the Bible says the person that fused the word of God is a fool. He said he's a fool. He despises his own soul. There's many consequences of not wanting to be corrected. A person that refuses spiritual correction is damned. There's no hope for him until he decides to start listening and taking Uh, what God is telling him, instead of what he wants to hear. So true wisdom is given by the Holy Spirit. Paul prayed for the body of Christ, Ephesians, and said, I pray God give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He doesn't give that to people who profess Christianity and who are scholars and university people who got brilliant minds. They cannot properly understand. Oh, they can read words. And they can put it together to a degree, but they don't have no real wisdom. They have no guidance from the Lord, but they're brilliant, the more brilliant than most of us are. That does not make them spiritual. So he does not give wisdom to wicked people. He keeps it from them as a punishment for the actions of resisting the spirit of truth. And I've known brilliant people myself 
seminary graduates, worldly doctorates, and and all kinds of things, but they cannot rightly handle the Word of God, and they're not Christians, yet they claim to be, and they go to churches. But their lifestyle and the way they handle the Word of God proves they don't know spiritual things. But they think because they've got this education, that makes them spiritual. A person can never be spiritual who's still in sin and not obeying the Lord. Oh, he can quote scripture back and forth, but he cannot be spiritual, and God will keep wisdom from him. Okay, so when we get to verse 16 now, before 15 said, study and accurately handle the word of God. Some translate it rightly dividing. That word there means to separate it the ingredients and see what the meaning is. Like people talk about God, often his attributes is like a diamond. It has many facets, and each facet explains something, but the facet does not stand alone. The diamond has many facets, and one facet is not the diamond, but they make up together, they interpret who God is and what he wants to be known about himself. His love and kindness, his judgments, his holiness. It's because of his holiness, the majority of mankind is going to end up in the lake of fire. They will not submit to the Lord. They will not take conviction. God said, all the nations that forget me, I'll turn into hell. See, man has a responsibility to God. He owns them, and he requires certain duty of them. And if they don't perform that, they'll answer for it in the day of judgment. So, verse 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. Those not properly interpreting God's word, those taking a scripture and building something that the scripture did not intend, overemphasizing the positive words, and under-emphasizing that which corrects and rebukes and admonishes. The Word of God, some have said, 40% of the New Testament is rebuking, admonishing, correcting. Well, people don't like hearing that anymore, do they? Well, the other side doesn't work. It's a lie if you don't have both of them together. They're the same facet of God's word. They fit together very well, okay? So avoid means shun. Do not give an ear to. Don't pay attention to it. Profane, false is what it means. Empty, useless words. It means spiritually have no value. They're not agreeable to sound teaching. And over and over again, and you don't hear it much by ministers or teachers, sound teaching does not mean just religious doctrine, putting the scriptures together. If you read from the apostles and the Lord, sound teaching is interpreted as teaching that leads to holiness. Any teaching that doesn't ultimately lead there is false. It hasn't served God's purpose. Sound teaching tells people how to come to the Lord and how to stay with the Lord and how to please him. For without that, they're not going into the kingdom. Uh 
A lot of people just think, oh, they want to interpret scriptures and they, they get a degree and this and they come out. And I have to say, uh, and I've met five or six of them personally and known them. They went to seminary and they all came out worse. Their faith was more shattered. Oh, and they picked up a lot of worldly wisdom, but they didn't pick up much spiritual wisdom. Because many of these seminaries, they teach things according to their denomination. What they think is important, they don't rightly handle the Word of God. They overemphasize the wrong scriptures and forget the ones that may keep a person in the Lord. Okay, And so we see this, that these false teachers, they don't like holiness. they rather have a false grace and a faith and they think that's enough. And now I can live like I want to. And that's what most of these teachings teach, excuse, and they call it God's grace. You can imagine the damnation they're going to come up for misrepresenting God and misrepresenting his grace. Okay, Grace can be given in vain. It can be despised. It can be insulted. And there are punishments according to how a person resists the grace of God. Okay, or forsakes the grace of God. Okay, so today, of course, it's always been there, but it gets worse as it's getting darker. The false teachers bring in many doctrines and teachings that are not associated with true Christianity. They should not even be mentioned. Uh They bring in new age. Back then, Paul was dealing with the Judaizers and some cults, and the Judaizers were bringing in the law and using the law in a wrong way and trying to tell the Christian Gentiles, well, you got saved, but unless you keep the law of Moses and are circumcised, you can't be. They were sort of mixed in it. And Paul had nothing to do with them. He exposed them. And he said, I hope they slip with their knife and castrate themselves. He was very sharp with them. He didn't show no pity. See, because they were damaging the body of Christ. And in Galatians, some of the Christians fell away and followed them. And Paul said, I pray that Christ will be formed in you again. That means they were once Christians and they were not. And he's praying that they'll come back to the Lord, that they've been mesmerized by false teachers, twisting and misusing the law. And the law was good and profitable at its time and its manner. But then it was fulfilled or abolished under the new covenant, okay? And the Judaizers wanted to control people and still keep them under Moses' law, which could not happen when God brought in the new covenant, okay? So nowadays they mix new age movements, mysticism. They quote scriptures out of context to make people feel good, and they never say anything about their sins. We see some of the statements that are twisted and leads to further ungodliness is what he says. Because the lie, it opens them up. When you believe a lie, you open doors. And the spirit of truth will back up. And he will allow the lies to deceive you. And the great Antichrist, when he comes, the great wicked one of the world, right before he comes on the scene, The Bible says God will send a great delusion. That's a lie. He said, and the people will believe a lie and be damned. 
because, he says, they loved not the truth, they resisted it. So they had some truth through their conscience or through the gospel, and they kept resisting it. So he said, he withdrew. He said, I'll send them. God is in control of the devil and the demons, and he gives permission, and he sends some as punishment. He did to King Saul. When the Spirit of the Lord, he said the Spirit of Jehovah left him after God tried him so many times, and he was rebellious, it said, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. So when God's spirit left, he sent him an evil spirit to punish him. He did that with Israel. When Israel backslid many times, he'd pick their enemy to subdue him and capture and punish him. And then when he was finished, he punished that wicked nation. He can use any nation and any demon he wants. Often he turns the very thing people give themselves over to, he turns that against them. So that's what happens when people don't listen to the spirit of truth or they resist it. So many of these ministers and teachers, they want to make people feel good while they're still in a stateful state of sinfulness. So they overemphasize grace and faith, but you don't hear spiritual works, fruitfulness, or obedience. And grace and faith is empty. It means nothing without fruitfulness, spiritual works, and obedience. And they don't want to hear that. See, they want to believe no matter what I do, God loves me and he'll find a way. Well, you believe in a lie and you'll stand speechless at God's judgment because you'll know the truth then. The demons won't blind you. Your conscience won't blind you. But then once you know the truth, there's nothing to be done about it. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. See, that's that's why they're speechless. They have no argument. They'll see and then they can't do nothing about it. That's the horrible part of standing before the Lord, not being in right relationship with Jesus Christ. But we have some of these sayings, you know, I hear them often, God loves you unconditionally. See, it's meant, and it's taken out of context, God so loved the world, in general, he loves every human, has goodwill toward him, but it's not unconditional. His love can be given, but there's consequences if people don't respond properly and don't do what they do. He will judge and destroy them. And so in the pure context, how can he love you unconditionally if he's going to destroy you in hell? Uh But initially, he wishes everybody to be saved. Under the old and new, it said it's not his will that any perish. But they don't follow his plan. They don't submit to him. And so they will perish. And they can talk about the love of God all they want and the grace of God, but it's not working in them. So Paul said a couple of times, don't let the grace of God be given to you in vain. He called them empty. So it can be misused and despised. God's long-suffering and patience will ultimately come to an end with nations and people. So this thing that God loves you unconditionally, they want it to mean no matter how bad you are and what you do, God will find a way for you. But that's no sound doctrine there. The majority of mankind is going to end up in a lake of fire. That proves otherwise it's not true. Okay? 
Another one they had through some of them years ago, and you still hear it if you study in some theological schools, that your spirit has been cleansed and saved when you come to the Lord, and it cannot sin. So they think you're eternally secure, once saved, always saved. But your soul and body, it doesn't much matter what you do with it. Well, see, that was the teaching of Nicolaitans. And Jesus said, I hate their teachings, and I will destroy its followers. So people that want to believe they have a license to sin, and they're going to get it to heaven while they enjoy their sins, he said he hates that doctrine, and he will destroy them. How does he destroy them? It's the second death. It doesn't mean he's going to destroy them in this life. He lets most wicked people live their life out and let circumstances and the laws of nature pass. He rarely individually goes after someone, but he has the right to, and he can cut any wicked person off anytime he sees fit if he wants to make an example of them. Uh-huh. And then another famous one you'll hear, judge not, judge not. You always hear that. So it's always to be positive. No matter how bad the person is or what false teacher they teach or the denomination it teaches false, uh, we're not to judge that. Scripture says we are to judge that. So a professing Christian, a living in gross sin, in Paul's time, they were confronted, and if they didn't repent, they were thrown out. They were not tolerated. Nowadays, they, our church is welcome to everybody. Well, you've misunderstood God, and God's not welcome there. The Spirit of the Lord ain't going to move there. When we support wicked people who persist in their sin and refuse to come to the Lord and repent, because God don't accept them, and he doesn't have. So that's another great one. We are to judge. And Paul, he said, we judge the Christian, not the world. He said, they're already under judgment, and God judges them when he sees fit. He said, but aren't you spiritual enough to judge those inside? And so he meant when they get into a gross sin or or, or something, you're to deal with them. You're to correct them. And if they don't listen to it, you put them out of the fellowship. Well, people don't do that. You hear that saying often, the church is for sinners. No, it's not. It's for Christians. And if sinners don't repent, they're not a part of it. God has no use. They're not in covenant. The true church is to be of repentant sinners that have turned and are trying to serve the Lord. It never says any practicing, and Paul makes it plain. Practicing gross sinners, no matter what kind of religion they claim, he said they'll not make it to heaven. And he said, don't let no one lie to you. Well, the false teachers lie, or grace will take care of it. God understands. Oh, he understands a lot. Uh So the Christian was to, and the fellowships of a true church were to deal with gross sin and get repentance or get rid of the person. We'll see the world. Well, you can tell you that most of the churches are of the world. They don't have ministers of God. The devil puts the ministers there because they pervert the word of God and alter what he says. Uh So the body of Christ, the true church, has to be in a holy and live in in a holy, godly manner. So if you see people that aren't, you don't have to accept their Christianity. They make it a lifestyle. 
It's different when someone falls into sin and repents and gets out. But if they stay in that, that's called a habit or practicing. And Paul said, don't don't even lie to you, he said. That person will not make it to heaven. Why? Because they're not a Christian. They may have once been a Christian, but they're not a Christian if they persist in practicing these gross sins. Okay? And he names about 17 of them. And then at the end, he adds, and the such like. That means anything that your conscience tells you. To say. I mean, even the world knows what certain sins are. You don't have to explain it to them. They know what adultery is and fornication. They know what lying and stealing. The world as a whole, they try to uphold sometimes in government so people don't do that. And they punish them. If you rob or steal, you can go to jail. Uh-huh. You murder, you can be executed in some states which should be done. Okay. So it has to be in a practical manner. So many false and unscriptural statements, people just accept and pass over the word of God. And basically that's what the Pharisees did. Uh-huh. The Pharisees made many traditions. When Jesus came along, the law of Moses had about 50 rules and regulations. By the time Jesus came along, the Pharisees had almost 600. They made all the, and they made them more important than the Word of God. Uh And Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, How can you escape the damnation of hell if you lay aside God's Word for your tradition? Denominations are in the same category. They put their beliefs and their rules of order above the word of God, and the Holy Spirit blocks them and doesn't have much deal. They're not the true church. Oh, we may have some individuals in it, but as a whole, it's not has no lampstand, and God is not sustaining it, okay? Now, again, in 17, the, the talk will spread like a cancer. Among them, Hymernesis, I don't pronounce it right, and Philetus, we talked to them before the last one, had a hard time with them. Well, Paul, in the first epistle of Timothy, he had turned them over to the devil that God had punished them. He was using apostolic authority, asking and God sending a quick punishment by demons to get their attention. And it wasn't to destroy them at that time. So we find, like Jesus said, he came to save men, not to destroy them. But the wrath of God can demonstrate itself when he sees fit. King Herod was struck with worms for blasphemy before the people, and in three days the worms ate his whole body up. He died a horrible death. So God wasn't intending to correct him. He decided, you claim to be a king of Israel, and these people are telling you, because he came out on the porch in the sunlight, and he had a beautiful silver and gold robe, and that lit, and they said, oh, this is not a man, it's a god. And they were trying to flatter him anyway, because he was going to make war with them. And he took that, and it said immediately the angel of the Lord struck him. But history tells us it took three or four days for him to die. He didn't drop dead right then. Worms were coming out of his ears, his nose, and everywhere, and they were eating him. He died a horrible death. 
See, he was a king. He professed to be the king of Israel, or God expected him to keep the covenant, which he didn't, because most of them are half Gentiles anyway, and they didn't keep the law. So, see, God can do it. But in general, Paul had punished a man, a false uh, prophet, that was trying to withstand his teaching, and he put a curse on him, and he had the right to do it. By apostolic, he says, you'll be blind. Well, he was blind for three months. He wasn't blind for the rest of his life. And he had to find people to lead him away. Uh -huh. He used them as an example to the people he was trying to preach to. And that impressed some of them. They came to the Lord when they seen what the Lord did. But often the Lord doesn't do those kind of things openly. He allows people to deceive themselves and misinterpret the scripture. If their heart is not right, he'll do that, okay? So it will spread, false teaching will spread like a disease. Some interpret it cancer, but back then they didn't know what disease, they just knew it was a disease. We might use a firestorm today and compare it with it, how fast it will move. So we see that God deals with certain things, but it's not his general will to destroy people wickedly, openly in the present. He gives them time. He's more gracious and holds off his judgments than it was done under the law. Under the law, you had two witnesses that you blasphemed God or you committed adultery under Moses' time. They stoned you to death. It was done quickly. There was no grace given. But the people understood that. If you do certain things, you'll die. Under the new covenant, he comes with truth and grace. He's bearing them longer and giving them more space and more time. He's hoping that they'll turn. So he's extending his tolerance and his long-suffering, and he didn't have to do that. But he does that under the new covenant, hoping that all will eventually come to him and repent. That's his desire. Uh-huh. But it's the, because he waits and puts things off, often the time for the person's sin and their punishment when he does decide to punish, there's a period, and that period shows the kindness and long-suffering of God, giving them time to repent. Let's take a break.